The Daily Brew started off with two guys who both love good coffee and great theological discussions. I'm pleased to announce that we have now partnered with Good Folks Coffee to bring you the Daily Brew Blend. Are you tired of terrible coffee? We were too. Go to the website sponsor page and click on the Good Folks Coffee link. That's at yourdailybrew.com. Prepare yourself to experience a whole new coffee world. Hey guys, this is for you, the listeners of the Daily Brew Podcast. I want to tell you about Audible. Audible's offering a free audiobook download, and they're offering it with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their great service. Get your free audiobook download and free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash dailybrew. I like listening to the Chronicles of Narnia audiobook with my daddy. I have three kids. If I keep it up, the Duggars may be calling me for advice. Each of my kids enjoy different things. It's really neat to watch them develop their own personalities and hobbies. My son is four years old, and one thing that he loves to do is putting puzzles together. He will take apart and put together a puzzle over and over again. There's something about it that's therapeutic even for an adult. Ever so often, I'll pick up one of his puzzle boxes and begin to put it together. Nearly every time I do this, I'll get to the last piece of the puzzle only to find out that a piece is missing. There are few things in life that are more frustrating than this. You slowly start to feel the inner satisfaction that a resolve is coming to an end of this image, only to find out that you cannot finish it. When you start the puzzle, it all looks like a mess. The individual pieces make no sense until they find their place in the overall unity. The mess slowly evolves into a beautiful masterpiece. When we come to our Bible, the individual pieces may look chaotic and confusing until we see the overall structure. Today we're going to try to piece together the overall narrative of Scripture. This is The Daily Brew. This is The Daily Brew. I am your host, Adam Holland. This is my co-host, Jeremy Thornberg. Hello. We are a Christian podcast that examines various biblical and cultural issues through the lens of Christ. Today we are discussing the topic of biblical theology. Last week we uh, had an interview with Miles Van Pelt, which was pretty phenomenal, and had a a guest co-host, Dustin Messer, who was helping us out. Uh, Jeremy is back this week. I'm sure Dustin was fantastic, but you missed the Nickelback references, right? We definitely missed out on some Nickelback references. That is correct. <laughs> well, well, we'll take a week off from uh, making fun of Nickelback. Maybe we'll learn something, and we'll come back this week to making fun of more Nickelback. <laughs> Nickelback is <We're>, returned. <laughs> we're going to have a lawsuit. It's going to be bad. I, I don't have any money. You don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in trouble. Um, so this week we are returning uh, back to the same topic. We're going to continue on with uh, <laughs> discussing why, in order for us to understand our New Testaments, we have to have the groundwork or the framework, uh, the building blocks, the frame of the house, if you want to think of it that way, of the Old Testament. 
Yeah, the the I mean, Adam, the New, New Testament's not meant to be uh, understood by itself. It's uh, it's building off of the Old Testament. I mean, uh, by the time you've got the Old Testament ending, there's there's promises that uh, Jesus is going to fulfill in the New Testament. And if you're just reading your New Testament, and you never know the Old Testament. You're never going to see those. Yeah, I, I can think of just uh, just some examples uh, from the Old Testament that are key to understanding your New Testament. If you uh, if you start off without having concept of all the promises that were given to Abraham and all the promises of the mm. land that were given, and uh, without all the ceremonies and the um, the festivals given, and then you also don't have any of the the groundwork to think about the the promise that God gave to David for a future king that would forever be on the throne. If you don't have those in your mindset when you come to the New Testament, you start reading and you're almost lost. It's like you're coming into a movie that's already been started and you don't really know anything that happened before it. Uh, and the sad thing is, all too, many, all too many believers, even churches, treat it that way. The Old Testament's bad. We're going away from that. The law is bad. We're, we're New Testament Christians. We're not uh, Old Testament Christians. We're New Testament believers. We don't need the Old Testament. And uh, they're missing just, they're missing almost the, the whole groundwork for the entire Bible. You know, if you're um, the, the way I think of it, if you're uh, if you pick a book up, and uh, let's say you pick uh, let's say you pick up I like Lord of the Rings, so let's say you pick up Lord of the Rings, and uh, you pick it up when they're in the mines of Moria, but you don't have the whole intro to the story. You don't know why they're there. You don't know why they're in more. Okay, why are these people in a cave underground? You know, why is fighting Gandalf this? there? Yeah, what, who who is this Gandalf guy? There's been nothing laid out. Kind of like Voldemort guy that's come and interfered with the that's story. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, if if you come in the middle of the story <laughs> and you read it, you shall not pass. You know, that's kind of Gandalf's way of saying, "Hey, read the entire book." Exactly. You know, you, you need to read the whole book. Um, kind of like uh, you know, if you have uh, any knowledge of the history of music, you realize that Nickelback is terrible. <laughs> I mean, if you understand all of music, you, you see where Nickelback is, and you're like, this band is atrocious. No, you, but if, if you just hear Nickelback maybe on your own, you're like, oh, they're, you know, they're not too bad. No, you don't. That, that's, that's not true at all. <laughs> you all are welcome. That's my Nickelback for the week. <laughs> but when I, when I think about the Old Testament and some of the stories, um, to really understand what Jesus is doing and how he's living his life and why certain things are taking place, you really need to understand the Old Testament. A good example of this would be Think about how Jesus relives the life of Israel. And if you don't see all these events in the life of Israel, in the life of Christ, then you're really missing out a key point of the narrative of what Christ is doing. For example, Jesus goes through baptismal waters. Well, why is Jesus baptized? Well, it's very much like uh, pointing back to the Exodus. When they went through the baptismal waters, when they went through... Um, where God separated the water and they're going through and God rescued them through this. Well, then right after they go through the waters, what happens? They're, they're tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, what happens with Jesus? Uh, as soon as he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. It's as if Christ is reliving um, the life that Israel could not live. Where Israel was unfaithful, Christ is being faithful. Uh, so Jesus was tempted for 40, to, uh, for 40 days, and he remains faithful. Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years, but they weren't faithful. Then Christ goes up on a mountain, and what does Christ do? Um, he's acting just like Moses. Moses goes up on a mountain, and he delivers the Ten Commandments. Well, what does Jesus say when he's on the mountain? He says, do not commit murder. Um, I've, heard it, you said, uh, I've heard it said that do not commit murder. I say, I say if you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder. 
you've heard it said, do not lust. Uh, I say if you've uh, had, or I'm sorry, do not commit adultery. Uh, I say if you've had lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So we shouldn't, it's as if, we shouldn't lust either. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what Jesus is doing, he's acting as the greater Moses, going up on a mountain just like Moses, delivering the law to the people just like Moses. And over and over again, we see these things uh, that are there to point us to and shows us, show us that Christ is the greater Moses. Christ is the greater fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. I mean, you even see uh, you even see the author of Hebrews pick this up in Hebrews. If you, if you read the first three chapters, uh, even four of Hebrews, it, it picks up these Old Testament themes that okay, this angels are great, but this Jesus we worship is better. Moses is great. You know, Moses was a servant in God's house, but Jesus is a is a better servant. Another thing to, to think about, adding to that, is think about the fact that all the festivals are really pointing to Christ. Like, for example, Passover. What happened to Passover? Uh, you have the animal being slaughtered and his blood being placed on the door. And then uh, everyone who had the blood on their door, God's wrath passed over them at the Passover. Well, what happens to Jesus? Well, at the Lord's Supper, very similar, takes place on Passover. So now we have this interesting concept when we come to Christ, we were, if we understand what Passover pointed to, we realize that Christ is our Passover lamb. If his blood is applied to us in salvation, God's wrath passes over us. And over and over we see things like that. The Sabbath, how does it, what's the purpose there? It's there to lead us to find our ultimate rest in Christ. Jesus says, come to me all your heavy laden and find rest that... All these themes, all these um, Old Testament stories are there building up and pointing us to the greater king, the greater one to come. Let me add one more thing um, before we go into your next topic. But uh, think about the way the book of John starts off. He starts off by saying, in the beginning was the word. And without a good knowledge of the Old Testament, without a knowledge of Genesis, you, you don't really understand the depth and what he's actually trying to accomplish in his writing. Well, Genesis starts the exact same way, and this is uh, Genesis is the, obviously the very first book of the Bible, the way all things were created, and John is picking up, so the, all of creation was created back in Genesis 1. Now John is saying that uh, God is recreating the world through Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word then becomes flesh in Christ. It's as if God is recreating the world, and He's recreating it through Christ, His uh, um, the incarnate Son, the Son is becoming flesh, the eternal Son is becoming flesh. You need Old Testament understandings um, of these things. You need to understand the general narrative and the general books of the Bible of the Old Testament in order to understand our New Testament. I mean, you know, you can always, uh, I mean, anybody can pick up John and, and get the gospel from it. But what, what we're talking about is the overall framework of Scripture, which which helps us get the the biblical worldview that that comes um, behind. I know it's going to sound redundant, but behind Scripture, behind the Bible. And I mean, you you can pick up John, and, and God can use it to give you the gospel. But Amen. Uh, at the end of the day, you have to know you, you need Genesis to show us that we we rebelled. You need Genesis to show us that we're we're dead in sin. That we have. God, who's our creator, and really, I mean, God's reign uh, dictated by the fact that he's creator, we're his creatures, he's the, he's the potter, we're the clay, and I mean, these are concepts that you, you really have to get to explain or comprehend. I mean, comprehend we really wouldn't understand that we're separated from God and the extent of our separation from God without having the Old Testament framework. So, I mean, even the good news is not as much good news without the Old Testament because you don't understand how we're separated from God. What caused that separation, and is there hope for that restoration? And then uh, you get to the uh, you get to the end of the story in Revelation, and you see, 
you see creation redeemed. You see mm. God uh, basically put man back in the garden. Yeah, it's all returning back to the garden, and now there's not two trees, but there's one tree. There's only a tree of, uh, of life, and it's just a beautiful narrative. Uh, I had a conversation with um, my wife recently where someone asked her about, um, she said, uh, why did God even put a tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, in the garden in the first place if he knew that we are just going to sin? And I, uh, it was a great conversation because i got to show that the purpose was never for us to stay in the garden. If you focus on the fact that if you think that the whole purpose of us was to stay in the garden, you've missed the whole story. Because the whole story is that believers now are in a better state than Adam and Eve were in. Initially, Adam and Eve, they were created by God, but they were not sons of God. And so they, Adam and Eve sinned, so therefore they're separated from them. There's nothing over and over again we see throughout all the Old Testament and up to the New is that man continually shows that they're unable to redeem themselves. Uh, they're unable to obey God's law. They're given the Ten Commandments and they say, well, we'll surely do these things. And yet they continually disobey over and over again. And then they're kicked out of the land just like Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Well, man is unable to redeem themselves. And what happens? God comes, He sends His own Son to redeem us uh, because we're unable to do it. Then, what happens to those uh, once Christ dies and resurrects? All those who put their faith in God, they now have the option and they, they now have the ability and can say that they're now sons of God. They can call Him Abba, Father. So, Adam and Eve in the garden wasn't the purpose. That was never the purpose. It wasn't for us to stay in the garden forever. No, the purpose was for our future adoption to be called sons of um, of the most, the most high God, to live in the garden once again, Revelation 22, but now as adopted sons rather than just as his creation. And it, it's as if we get to see a whole beautiful narrative when we tie the two books together and we're in a better state than Adam and Eve were initially um, because we're now adopted sons. I think one of the most beautiful things about what Adam is describing, just the, the biblical worldview, uh, biblical theology, um, just the narrative of Scripture is it leads you to worship God because you see to the, the great lengths that God went to save us through the, the whole story of, of the Bible. And uh, I think, um, you know, this is uh, something unscripted that we could talk about, Adam. Uh, you know, I, I, think so, I think a reason I'm passionate about it, and I'm sure you are too, is um, I, I know a lot of people that know their Bible verses Mm. And they get, um, you know, something Adam and I have mentioned in past episodes is uh, preaching where you're just pulling verses from here and there. You never get the overall, um, what's the word I want to use, meta-narrative. You never get the overall story of Scripture. And the, the it's good that you're getting Scripture. The danger with that is you can't, you can't place the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle in, in the right spot sometimes. And it, it's helpful, like we were saying earlier, you, you need to know where John's at in the Bible. Yeah. You need to know that uh, why, why you know you mentioned last week why Matthew starts the New Testament. Why why is uh, why is Matthew starting off saying this Jesus is the the son of David, the son of Abraham? You have to have you have to have a knowledge of Abraham and David to see why Matthew's saying that. Exactly, uh, which this ties to our next uh, topic we're going to discuss briefly. But um, how can we? Now that we see the importance of biblical theology, and biblical theology, what that is, is the interconnectedness of the New Testament, how the New Testament relates to the Old Testament. Um, how can we t then tie this to our local churches? We don't want to just uh, be armchair theologians. We want to be people who actually um, are taking our theology and putting it into practice and, and applying it into our churches. 
Uh, we don't want to just be sitting up and have only theological head discussions. How can we apply this to our local churches? What are some ways you think uh, are just practical ways that we can teach this or um, implement this type of uh, thought into our uh, local churches? I mean, uh, to me, I, I think a helpful thing would be just um, maybe doing a small study just over uh, major themes um, mm. in the uh, between the Old and the New Testament. Like you, like you were saying. I mean, you know, it's not rocket science. It's like you were saying earlier. It's it's drawing out how Christ fulfilled these um, prophecies and how Christ was a a true and better uh, to a better Moses. How Christ is the fulfillment of the land promises in Israel. I mean, as you see those things, um, it really opens your Bible up to you. It quits becoming an obscure, you know, document um, with random verses thrown about, and it really helps people get the overall narrative. I think that's one area. I think another another thing to add on to um, that you can do is uh, similar to what he's saying is go through a, an Old Testament book and show. Like while you're teaching, obviously you're going to give the, the narrative of the Old Testament book. But remember that just as Christ is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he shows himself in all of Scripture. Well, whenever you're going through an Old Testament book, um, after you've outlined it and talked through it, if you're discussing it with a group of people, try to show how does this point us to and how does this lead us to Christ? How, um, how is this there for us to see Christ in it? What's our purpose of this book to see Christ? And, and discuss things like that and how they lead us to and bridge us to um, the gospel. How is this book there to, to point us to the gospel? Another thing um, I try to do whenever um, at our church, Jeremy and I are both uh, elders of the church together, um, whenever I'm preaching in the Old Testament is try to stress to people that uh, um, we're, start, we're going through the book of Genesis right now and also going through the book of Acts, but I want to show the gospel in the Old Testament, but also the gospel in the New Testament as well is that I want to stress to people that the gospel is not just a New Testament thing. I don't want them to think that you know the gospel is the New Testament and the Old Testament's bad or whatever that may be. But stress, hey, this week we're going to go through whatever book it may be. But let's look to see how we can see the gospel in this book. Uh, we're going to be preaching the gospel through uh, from the book of Genesis, and I try to stress both of those aspects to people so that they can see that uh, Old Testament is not devoid of the gospel. It's very much building up in the foundation of uh, and pointing to and lead us to uh, to Christ. I don't think I have anything else to add. <laughs> Good stuff. So what we'll do now, um, we've had the joy to interview uh, Dr. Stephen Dempster. Uh, we're going to go to that interview now. And this uh, this man's an incredible man. If you haven't read his book, Dominion and Dynasty, my mentor suggested this, and I'll probably even say this Top in the interview. Top-notch. Top-notch book. Um, he actually recommended that uh, you read it every year. He says if you're going to be a pastor, um, if you are a believer, you should at least read it once in your life. If you're a pastor, you should read it every year. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But, I, uh, I just read in the last six months, and it will change the way you look at the Old Testament. Amen. So I'm looking forward to going to this discussion now with him, so uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. We are here with uh, Dr. Stephen Dempster. He is a professor at Crandall University. He also wrote the book, uh, Dominion and Dynasty. And uh, thank you very much for joining our show. Thank you very much, uh, Adam. Appreciate the uh, privilege. You're- I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, your book, Dominion and Dynasty, uh, I've read it, and it's actually one of the things that got me interested in biblical theology, and then my mentor, he recommended it to me, and he said that uh, if you're a pastor, then you should be required to read it every year, so <laughs> high praise. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, well, we were discussing the topic of biblical theology, and uh, more specifically, the Old Testament, and uh, we want to ask you, one of the first questions I ask you is, why do you think it's important for 
us to have a good understanding of the Old Testament in order for us to read our New Testament? Why do we need that background or that grounding? Well, uh, I, I can. Um, that, that's we could be here all day, but I will. I will uh, basically say that um, that uh, um, you can't really comprehend the New Testament really at all without the Old Testament. It would be like uh, your your audience is pr- probably familiar with the, the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, and the and the uh, prologue to it, the the, the Hobbit. Well, it would be like reading. Um, there was there were three vol. There's the Hobbit. There's the Fellowship of the Ring. There's the uh, Two Towers, and there's the Return of the King. To have the Old Testament, to the New Testament without the Old, would be like reading the Return of the King without those three other books, because the Old Testament uh, is 77% of our Christian Bible, and it's absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's it's the New Testament's really incomprehensible without the Old. Um, when you think of all the major doctrines that we have, justification, sanctification, where do they come from? Let's just think of justification. Paul gets his argument from Genesis 15, before the law is given, Abraham has faith. Sanctification, be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord, Leviticus 19. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, all of these uh, are so important. I once heard, uh, I was once heard Richard Hayes speaking and uh, he's a new testament scholar and he was talking about the importance of the old testament and one of the students in his class said uh, why do we have to uh, have the old testament why can't we have jesus and uh, and and just uh, jesus was the one who was basically who said love the lord your god with all your heart soul and strength and uh, you know it's actually ironic <laughs> because that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength comes from the Old Testament <laughs> in Deuteronomy six, verse four, four and five. And uh, and so the the point is, a lot of what uh, uh, we perceive just simply to be the New Testament has its all its roots in the Old Testament. I can just say other things. Jesus got his identity from the Old Testament. I mean, when you um, when you read. Uh, when he was baptized and he was confirmed to be the son of God, uh, it said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, those those um, words, uh, you are my son, is from, uh, is from Psalm 2. Uh, you are my, the beloved one is from Genesis 22. Um, in whom I am well pleased is from Isaiah 42. So you have... I mean, this is where he gets his identity. When he wrestled with the uh, tempter in the wilderness, it was, uh, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's how he countered the tempter. And it was always from, in this particular case, it was from Deuteronomy. Uh, first of all, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8.3. Um, you shall not uh, uh, test the Lord your God. And uh, from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall, shall serve. So so Jesus' mind was saturated in the Old Testament. When he w- uh, went to the uh, uh, Nazareth to announce his mission, it was from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He read that out to bind up the broken mm-hmm. heart and to pronounce the acceptable year of our Lord. Um and then he closed the scroll and he said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. And uh, even then, uh, when you read in Luke's gospel, the response of the uh, 
of the community of Nazareth to him. At first they were dazzled, but then they they rejected him. And he said, uh, and then he basically gave two examples from the Old Testament to say, look, um, I'm in t- this 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 rejection that you've given me was actually had its precedence in the Old Testament during Elijah's time. Elijah didn't heal any lepers, uh, or Elisha didn't heal any lepers except Naaman, and Elijah didn't uh, um, heal uh, provide for widows except for someone outside in Phoenicia. Uh, and so, I'm in a way, he's being rejected by his own hometown people, and he's saying this had its precedence within the, the Old Testament scriptures. His <laughs> mind was saturated in the scriptures, and uh, I guess I can go on and on and on, but but it's it, it's really the New Testament is a mystery without the old. Amen. Amen. Another question uh, similar to this uh, and tied to this is, I know in your book, Dominion and Dynasty, uh, you talk about this, but why do you think the the structure or the order of the Old Testament is important for us to understand our New Testament as well? Yeah, um, well, I think it's it's important in that when you look at the the Old Testament, and here we make a, a bit of a distinction. The Bible of Jesus is probably differently ordered than our Old Testament uh, canon. And so it's first of all the law, which is basically uh, commenting on the prophets. Uh, not the law. The law The law comes first, which basically gives the structure of the Old Testament or the, the ethical core of the Old Testament. But it's schemes out from Genesis to the giving of the law, then the importance of the law, and then what we find is Moses is then basically um, says, um, or Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, and then there is this um, this statement that no prophet is arisen like Moses. Um, and uh, and so the, the writer is aware of at at the end of the law, the writer is aware of many prophets that have not been like Moses. Um, and so he's just basically saying there's no prophet that's been like Moses who's seen God face to face. But there is a prediction within Deuteronomy, and this is in, still in this first section of the Torah, uh, that there uh, that there will be a prophet like Moses. So, so in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that will come. So there's the expectation at the end of the Torah that that prophet hasn't come yet. And then you get the prophets. The next ba- uh, major section is the prophets. And so they conclude, they begin with Joshua, and they conclude with um, with uh, uh, Malachi. And at the end of that section, uh, th- so that you have these historical books, uh, Joshua, Judges, uh, Samuel, and Kings, uh, and the difference between our Bibles and theirs is we tack on the book of Ruth after Judges. Um, but uh, and but the idea here is that, and then we get Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the 12 minor prophets in the Jewish uh, uh, scriptures, whereas in ours, those writing prophets are tacked on at the very end. But I, I just want to point out that there is this feeling as you go through the Jewish uh, um, prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the Twelve, there is this idea, are these the prophets? Because there's prophets that emerge in these other historical books, but also the writing, are these the prophets that have um, 
that have uh, um, are going to fulfill the Deuteronomic prediction, and and at the very and we in in one of these stories we have the story of Elijah who goes up on the mountain just like Moses did in Exodus 33 and 34. But he doesn't see God's face. Moses never saw God's face. But this particular person, uh, Elijah, doesn't see God's face either. Either, But he pulls a veil over his head or a mantle over his head so that he doesn't see God like Moses saw the trail of God's glory or the back of God. Uh, so in a way, it's very clear that Elijah on that mountain is not this prophet like Moses, even though he was a great person probably the greatest of the prophets. And when you get to the end of Malachi, it says, it basically concludes, it says, remember the Torah, the Torah of Moses. So it puts Moses together. And then it says, with Elijah. And Elijah is going to come uh, before that great and terrible day of the Lord um, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and, and vice versa. So at the very end of that section, there's the a realization that there is no... Um, there is no one like uh, Moses that has arisen, but Elijah is going to come back. And we all know what happened to Elijah. He didn't die, but he's going to come back before this time when this prophet will be will be uh, revealed. Well, then you get uh, the next section in the, um, the writings, which begin in uh, an, early, uh, sec an early order with Ruth, then Psalms, and then you come to the very end of um, the, uh, the the book of Chronicles. And Chronicles f functions to sum up almost the entire biblical story uh, because it begins with Genesis and it ends with the destruction of the temple, uh, which happened, uh, not the destruction of the temple, the return to build the temple in uh, um, the after, during Haggai and Zechariah's time, so so it summarizes the whole building, and so what it does is it focuses on a line of people that are going to come, the messianic line, and it it stresses David, and David is of course long since dead by the time the chroniclers are, uh, come, but his son is not is not or his descendant they're expecting his descendant. And so the, there is this who will be the king of Israel who will come back and he'll he'll be involved in rebuilding the temple and etc. So so I think I guess what my point is by having this structure there's the expectation uh, which is really stressed of a prophet like Moses that will reveal the word of God in an in a par excellence way um, and then also a Davidic king that will come and who will. Uh, be the Messiah. So this sort of structure stresses that, um, and uh, and I think uh, um, there's oftentimes people uh, that say that uh, that uh, the Old Testament structure that we have stresses more the prophetic element. But I think I think that's that's true to some degree. But there is this this uh, es eschatology which is in the structure that we call the Tanakh. Uh, Tanakh referring to the Torah the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Kituvim, the writings. Anyway, that's one of the things I think that's important. The second thing I can simply say is this. Uh, the, the people of the New Testament, the early Christians, were people who meditated on the Torah. Jews were people who meditated on the, meditated on the Torah. They lived the Torah. Um, 
they try to meditate on it day and night. And if you look at the structure of the Tanakh, the seams of the Tanakh at the beginnings, not just at the ends, um, you will find there is such an incredible stress on the Word of God, um, the Word of God in creation in Genesis 1. As Joshua is about to enter into the land, he's told to meditate on the Torah, the law of God, the Word of God day and night. And Psalms, which is right at the very near the very beginning of the third section, the same repetition occurs. You are to meditate on the Torah day and night. And I think the idea here is to get this Word of God in you. Um, this Word of God which created the world is coming, um, and it's here now in the Torah, and you can get it inside you. And, uh, and of course, this really sets the stage for the ultimate Word of God, the absolute ultimate Word of God, where we read in Matthew, not in Matthew, but in John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so you get this uh, this kind of um, stress on the word as well um, in the Old Testament structure or the Tanakh structure uh, of the of the canon, which I really think was the the Bible of the early church and the Bible the Bible of the first church and the Bible of Jesus. I don't. I, does that does that help? That that is very helpful. I've always enjoyed the the fact and, and thinking about the fact that uh, according to the Tanakh order of the Bible, you begin with the genealogy or the Toledo formula. So you yeah. begin with the genealogy, and Genesis is structured by genealogies and genealogies, and then by the time you come to Second Chronicles, it ends with genealogies and the hope of the future David still has to come, the one who would forever be on the throne. And then what happens in the very next page, you turn it over to Matthew, and it's, yeah. this is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it's as if all these promises are building up and finding their rest in Christ. Oh, oh yeah, it, it, that, that's very clear. And if, and if you look at... Uh, like Matthew uh, 1, it's 14, 14, 14. It's a gene- genealogical structure. And really, uh, that's a good point that you mentioned, that uh, the genealogies are the bookends of the Tanakh, really. They are the, the one book which stresses genealogies like uh, there's no tomorrow is Genesis. And then the next one, really, that does it is is Chronicles. And it's it's basically saying, look, here we're coming to the end. Can we now have a? Uh, can we make sense of it all? All this mass of detail. Can we make sense? Yes, this genealogy uh, begins with Adam. We stop writing the genealogy when David arrives, and so David is here, and so David is is almost everything, and uh, and so of course David is long since dead by the time Chronicles is written. But what does that mean? The covenant with David is not dead either. And I and just another point: if you actually go right to the middle of the Tanakh, uh, it ends in uh, uh, it's it's the story of Jehoiakim being released from prison in Second Kings at the very end of Second Kings, and and this is nothing but a lightning rod for hope, because if you go to the beginning of the because he's a Davidic descendant, there is hope. This is like uh, in Isaiah, it says uh, the stump is cut down, uh, but there is a shoot that's growing up from the stump of Jesse. Mm. And this guy who's coming is the Spirit of the Lord is on him. It says seven times the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Uh, To do God's work in the world, and that is to reverse the curse. So somehow at the end of the, uh, the, at the, end of the the first half of the Tanakh, you have 
Jehoiakim released from prison. And if you want to use a, uh, an athletic metaphor to describe what's happened, it's this. Um, the the uh, You've heard of the expression down but not out in the boxing ring where someone's hit and they the, the he's knocked down and then there's 10 seconds for him to get up. Well, I've seen uh, matches where the individuals got up on the count of seven and the referee puts his hand in front of his... Uh, face and says how many fingers if he can say five uh or whatever he's holding up then he can continue and then i've seen a match actually won and i really think that's what's what's happening at the end of the middle part of the tanakh the promise has been at the beginning of the tanakh that god will have a seed and uh the seed of the woman will actually defeat the seed of the serpent and i think essentially at the middle of the tanakh the Davidic line seems to be in a, at an end. Uh, Jehoiakim's in exile. He's no longer on the throne. Uh, but he's released from prison. He's given a new set of clothes. And oftentimes being given a new set of clothes is a new status that you're given, just as Adam and Eve were, have a new status as a result of the clothes that were given to them by God, just as Joseph was given a new status uh, when he was taken out of the dungeon and given a new set of clothes by the Pharaoh. Um, and so he has a new status, and he's above all the other kings, and he has a, a ration, uh, unlike all the others, t- for the rest of his life. Well, I think this is basically saying, uh, yes, the promise has been down, but it's not out. This is the shoot. The line is being maintained, and then the shoot actually um, develops into a tree in Jesus the Messiah. Um, and uh, And then it's cut down again. <laughs> Uh, but then it's resurrected. But uh, but yeah, I, I think you're really that 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 general genealogical structure really does stress um, that continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because you begin with genealogy, you end with genealogy, and then when you begin with Matthew, you're into genealogy again. And then this is David, the son of David, Jesus, Emmanuel. Amen. I mean, really tying, uh, Matthew does a really good job tying Isaiah, tying to the, the covenant promises of Abraham, tying to the promises of David. Oh, yes. It's yes. beautiful just to see. Yeah. It's almost like he's doing biblical theology, just tying the whole Bible together. Oh, yeah, yeah. And over and over he says, it's fulfilled. This is fulfills it. This fulfills it. This fulfills it. And when he gets to the end, the amazing thing is, all authority is now given to me, Uh Therefore, <laughs> go into all the earth and proclaim uh, and, and teach uh, and baptizing all nations in the name. And the interesting thing about that, that's Daniel, I think, because the Son of Man was to be given all authority. And so th- that's a reference to Daniel, uh, the fulfillment of the promise in Daniel 7. He now has all authority, but he doesn't. Uh, the, the amazing thing in the Old Testament, when when all authority is given, you think that's the end, uh, but it's not. It's not. There is this, uh, how would I put it, long delay before the end. We are in the end, but there's a long delay before the end, and that long delay is um, is God's desire to bring his salvation to the entire nations so that Genesis 12:3 can be realized in him, uh, in Abraham's seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. 
this is the time of the ingathering of the nations. Yeah, it's exciting stuff, Adam. Amen, amen. Well, to, to change the subject a little bit more of a two uh, final funner, I guess a, a more fun question to ask is, uh, do you have a favorite writer, um, or uh, whether historic or current, do you have uh, someone that you uh, that you love reading? Yeah, that's a good. One. Well, I guess my uh, my I, my default is always the scriptures and the Psalms. I'm always reading the Psalms, and 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 uh, but those are uh, yeah. Uh, well, and I also love reading. Um, um, I, I, one of my favorite, I guess, most uh, fundamental books uh, that I uh, have read in the past, informative book, and is was the City of God. And just as other as other, th- these are not theologians as such, but I guess, and, and a number of theologians have really impacted me. Um, uh, Gerhard von Rod, for example, although he was a critical scholar. I just um at times I was um I guess in maybe not the seventh heaven but the second heaven <laughs> reading some of his his statements you know where he he wrestled with the text and he tried to to understand it and and you you got this incredible fruit uh from his material uh I I still uh, remember reading his book Wisdom in Israel and about this call which goes out to everyone, and it's like a, a a lover. Lady Wisdom is like a lover wooing her beloved, and uh, and also in, in I'll never forget the uh, the example that he gave from Second uh, uh, Samuel 24 when the census of Israel and David uh, flung himself he, of the three choices: the three years of fighting with his enemies, the three years of famine, three months of famine or the three days of plague. He chose the three days of plague because Von Rod said, and it's so true, he had meditated on these scriptures. Uh, he flung himself into the heart of uh, God whose mercies are great rather than into the hands of man. Uh, I do not want to go into the hands of man, but I want to go into the heart of the, uh, God for his mercies are great. And just reading that, you realize the profound uh, meditation and idea of God he had, which goes back to the mercies uh, in Exodus 34 when God says, a God of grace and mercy, a God of uh, patience and full of chesed, varav chesed v'emet, and then vanoser chesed la'alafim, who maintains chesed for thousands of generations. And I just think that... uh, Psalm 136, too, which uh, basically gives Israel's history. And after every statement, it says, for his hesed endures forever, for his hesed endures forever. Yeah, I guess those would be uh, some of my favorite. Uh, and I wrote as well, reading his Old Testament theology was formative in my my mind. I need to go back more and more and read them. I've read Wisdom of Israel because the wisdom, of it, uh, the wisdom literature is really... Uh, I guess in some ways my favorite part of the Old Testament. You might not think that, but it's just uh, reading that and reading people who've wrestled with it. Uh, yeah, and I mean uh, Bruce Waltke's Old Testament theology has has been excellent. Very helpful. There's a lot of great writers out there, um, but uh, yeah, and I and I really like uh, um, having read recently. Uh, um, J. 
Gentry and Wellam's book on um, Kingdom to Covenant. Covenant. Yeah, and Peter uh, has uh, he's a uh, a dear brother, <laughs> and uh, he he can say things a lot better than I can. Actually, <laughs> uh, no, I I really uh, I really um, I really have enjoyed um, reading. Um, um, some of these books, and and I read a lot of uh, stuff outside of my area. My favorite novel, for example, is Crime and Punishment by <laughs> Dostoevsky, and and I just the thing that really strikes me is his concept of forgiveness, and his concept of guilt, and how guilt is never really uh, really resolved until it's uh, until there's confession, and then when confession happens, because he was a Dostoevsky, he was a Christian. Um, there is this forgiveness, and with this forgiveness, uh, Raskolnikov, who goes to prison, can even in prison kiss the earth because he's free. You know, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, von Rod has this incredible uh, sermon on the story of Cain and Abel, and how that Cain's blood became something which condemned, rises up in condemnation. Not Cain's blood, but Abel's blood rises up in condemnation, seeking justice. But uh, then Von Rod goes to the New Testament, where the blood of Jesus in Hebrews speaks better things than the blood of Abel, because it rises up asking for forgiveness, because justice has been satisfied. Mm, yeah, a bridge. I, I hope that's of some help, Adam. That is, that is. And then one last question: Whenever you're not uh, writing or uh, researching, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, well, I just read. Uh, I, but, no, not reading. No, but I actually what I do is uh, I actually coach uh, some baseball and I uh, I exercise, do some running and uh, jogging and things like that. And uh, and I'm in, I I like following sports. So uh, you have a favorite um, team? So, do I have a favorite team? I sure do. Uh, in baseball, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. It used to be the St. Louis Cardinals, but since uh, the Jays came up, I, I and I'm following them with kind of passion. I was watching the game last night when they beat the Orioles, and and of course in hockey, it's the Detroit Red Wings. I, I'm a I'm a diehard Detroit fan. I was with them in the bad days and and the good days, and now they're back in the bad days again. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. So and when much. I was in I was in tech I was in Texas. Uh, a few years ago on a sabbatical at uh, Southwestern and uh, we went we went to a number of Rangers games. So and uh, that Arlington Stadium which is neat. Mm. Yeah. That is yeah. very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to join us today and for uh, your great wisdom and thank you for writing it's uh, uh, incredibly shaped the way that I read the Bible. So I just thank you for your ministry. Oh God God bless you Evan. Thank you so much for the opportunity, okay? All right, Shalom. Shalom. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that this broadcast will be used to strengthen your faith and your love for the local church. Tune in next week when we begin a new series on a Christian response to racism. During this episode, we will interview hip-hop artist Propaganda. The Daily Brew is a listener-supported broadcast. We exist because of generous donors such as yourself. If you're interested in having your business advertised on our show, please reach out to us through our website at www.yourdailybrew.com. 